Welcome to the LDA Podcast, a series dedicated to improving the lives and education of all learners. Today, we get the chance to talk to Toby Baker, the winner of the 2020 Harrison Sylvester Award, to talk about her experience in higher education with a learning disability and the importance of self-advocating. So hello everyone, I am here with Toby Baker, the winner of the 2020 Harrison Sylvester Award. This award honors and recognizes an adult with a learning disability who has shown a strong dedication and commitment to advancing the issues of adults with learning disabilities. Ms. Baker has self-identified as having a learning disability and ADHD herself. She has been a teacher of students with LD for the past 10 years and is a researcher and PhD student scholar. Her dissertation topic is focused on the perception and success of post-secondary students with LD and higher education faculty. Thank you for joining us, Toby. Thank you very much for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. So you identified yourself as having a learning disability and ADHD. What has been your own schooling experience been like? Well, it's funny because I um, actually um, just started self-disclosing a couple of years ago as an adult, but um, as a student, I never told anybody um, except for professors. Um, K through 12, I went to six different schools. Um, I transferred, my parents transferred me a lot um, because um, I, I guess the teachers didn't think I could learn or that I wasn't smart enough or that um, I wouldn't be able to reach my full capacity. They were very clever about how they pitched things to us. And, um, and even up till 12th grade, um, I, um, I knew I was going to go to college, but a lot of people, the teachers um, and advisors said not to even apply to college, and I said, no, I'm going to college. So um, I applied to, um, you know, four-year colleges, and I graduated on time in four years with a 3.9 GPA. So, um, you know, I was able to do that. And one of the things that I look at in my research is that if students with disabilities are unable to finish undergraduate work, how are they going to get to master's and doctoral work and so forth? So, but my, um, as a, um, as a um, uh, K through 12 student, um, moving through schools, um, I was always very strong in English and linguistics, and then, uh, but math I was not very good, so I went to different schools and I just found um, by senior year that I had to self-advocate. Um, advocating was, had become a very big thing for me, and then when I went to college, I realized, you know, I have to keep doing that, and I would get uh, into professor spaces a little bit, and then I was very outgoing and outspoken, and I refused to accept no, and I just kind of let everybody who was negative, like, I just didn't listen to any of them, and I just did what I had to do. Okay. So, what, per, what made you pursue teaching? Well, I think... After, you know, I, um, I, I majored in theater and then I majored in English and I uh, needed a teaching job and I wanted to be an English teacher because I love writing so much, but they, the need for, was for education was special education. I said, well, I can teach that. And so now I love it. I'll never go back to general ed. I've never taught general ed. I've always taught special ed. And what I found is that the students we're just like me. So if they struggled with something, I kind of, you know, I think that almost makes me a better teacher because I understand exactly what they're going through or if they've switched schools a lot or if they've had different teachers. Um, I think it's just very important that 
you know, you like everybody. A, a student knows if they don't, if you don't like them. So um, if the teacher doesn't like them. So I think that's one of the things is making a connection with the students and knowing your students as as a teacher. That's the most important thing for me um, because I remember when I knew when teachers didn't want me in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. So you know, I was the the burden, and I felt bad about that. So. Um, as a teacher, I kind of transfer that, like, how would I feel like I've been there? So it kind of makes it a deeper, more meaningful connection with the students. It sounds like you have a lot of empathy because you've been through it yourself, which yes. a lot of teachers, they can empathize, but they can't actually be in that other person's shoes. So. In, in that sense, I've worn a lot of hats or, you know, I, I, I can kind of code switch back and forth between Am I the teacher? Am I the student? Am I the adult? Am I the, what am I at this time? And um, especially at this conference, it's very nice because I can self-disclose so easily. Um, where, you know, out in the real world, you know, I haven't told anybody at all, but, you know, I kind of do every now and then when, it, when there's somebody who needs me. But I, I feel that um, students, if they're in, you know, as a teacher, um, it's very important for, for teachers to know their students and to know that they are going to grow up and go to college and kind of see that almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they say they can't do it, then they're not going to do it. And the student needs to know that. And just being really positive around the students and encouraging them to be college-bound rather than, well, they can't go to college, so what are they going to do instead? Because I've had that. And I don't, I don't advocate that at all. They, yeah. Students should be able to do whatever they want. So, so really no ceiling for them. No, they get there's to decide. no ceiling. Yeah. No. And only they can decide that. Mm -hmm. The only person who can tell you what to do in your life is you. Yeah. So. so you've been in the field teaching for 10 years, mm -hmm. and you've decided to go back and do more schooling for a dissertation. Well, actually, I'm at the end. I'm actually oh. writing my dissertation. I've been <laughs> in school for three years with a leadership program at Pepperdine University, mm -hmm. and I have um, learned so much. I've changed so much because when I first started, I couldn't even tell anybody there that I had a disability, and I know that there were, you know, there's tons of students who go to college and don't self-disclose. I have actually become a stronger advocate of self-disclosing because how are you going to get the accommodations that you need in college if you don't tell anybody? Mm -hmm. So um, you know you can't do everything yourself. I'm a big believer in you know need other people. I have like a whole team in my in my mind. I have you know this professor here and this professor there and this mentor here. They've all contributed to who I've become, mm -hmm. and so. Um, at Pepperdine, when, and, and I find this in my research too, and I'm looking, I'm like, that happened to me, that happened to me, and this, you know, so I can see it that um, all the, it's all, it all comes together. So even when I'm code switching and wearing different hats and so forth, they all kind of overlap and connect very nicely, which is very, very interesting to me. So you're very open about disclosing now at university where I know the, re the research says 76% of those with disabilities don't disclose and you, you actually are kind of looking at this with your dissertation topic. I feel topics, very so. sad. I feel sad that that's so many. Yeah. They, I think because um, I wasn't always open about it. I think there's a perception that uh, not only that you know the, the outside world or the non-disabled people may look at stu students with disabilities and say all kinds of just not nice things about them and that's what that's but I think as the student yourself you have to know well I'm not going to succeed if I don't have a B C and D I have to get this I have to get that I have to do this when I was going um, back to school to start at Pepperdine I actually 
I thought about being a special education lawyer, and so I had to take the LSAT. Mm -hmm. Well, I had to get accommodations to take the LSAT, so I had to backtrack a step and get an, another evaluation at age 40. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting to me because it took me weeks to find somebody who would actually evaluate me because nobody would evaluate me. I was looking all over the country. I was going to fly anywhere for anyone who would evaluate me. And I thought, if other people have to go through what I've gone through, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. So um, I, you know, I really want to, you know, as part of my work, I do the research, but I also want to make it easier for students. And if we don't know that they're out there, that goes back to your 76%. If we don't know they're out there, how can we help them? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really ha empowering mm -hmm. students to advocate for themselves because it's them that feels not not having an accommodation affects them. But that them. might be part of their disability, so we can't expect. Yeah. I'm extremely outgoing in your face. I'm just like mean as a dog sometimes. I'm like <laughs> I'm gonna get what I need, but not everybody's like me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so. Um, you know, I, there were times when I was in undergrad, I went to Moravian College in Pennsylvania for two years, and um, I would sit in office hours, and I'm like, I'm not leaving until I get what I need, and you're gonna da -da -da -da. and the thing that I found most in my research is professors absolutely hate extra time because they themselves don't wanna have to spend the time. And I'm like, well, the students also have to give up those two hours that they can't go out with their friends for pizza because they have to sit in your office and finish a test. Mm -hmm. And they have to be there, too. So it's not, it is what it is. It's kind of like, you know, when I write an IEP, I tell other teachers, you know, it is what it is. You have to do it. It's something that has to be done. Mm -hmm. So how badly do you want to pass the test or take, you know, do, do the, um, you know, get the degree? That is what should be the motivation. You'll give up going and sitting with your friends and having pizza if you know this is, this is my degree. This is the reason I'm in college. And so knowing that, you know, that's the kind of thing that drives you to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning to go to a tutoring session or go to the writing center when you'd rather be doing whatever you know activities you'd rather be doing. If you know that, at least for me, I knew that I had to do you know, this step, this step, this step. I, I have an ongoing right now um, uh, writing center appointment every Thursday, even now as a, as a PhD student with my papers because I know I need that and I'm not going to wait until April to go to the writing center. I go every single week along the way mm -hmm. with all of my awful papers and they keep getting better towards the end, but I don't wait till the last second to do it. And that's the thing about the students, the ones you're talking, the 76%, they need to come out right away. Mm -hmm. I've heard my professor friends, um, their students will slide accommodations under the door of their room their office the day before the test, and I'm like, how that poor, that poor um, professor is probably never known for the past two, three months that that student had a disability and they could have helped them. Yep. So it's being proactive. Yeah. It sounds like. Oh yes. Really advocate again, self-empowering and, and advocating. There are for laws like FERPA. The parents can't do anything. They mm -hmm. can, there's, I mean, you can kind of be a helicopter parent, but not really, because. FERPA protects the students. Um, that's another thing is the students don't read their IEPs and they don't read their accommodations. So when they get to college, they have no idea what services they actually get. So even if they go up to the professor and say, I have a learning disability, and then the professor says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, I don't know. Okay, you know, they have no idea. 
And so I'm thinking, well, you know, what did you have back in high school, or did you look at anything? Did you have any meetings for trans for, um, for um, transition? Anything? And half the time they just have completely forgotten. And so they need to be prepared and be ready and get there early and really, you know, figure out a, a plan. And that's the hardest thing for students, especially new students. Mm -hmm. So what have you been finding in your dissertation research? You mentioned one highlight um, about faculty reluctantly giving up time and, and students also having to give up that same yes, time, but what yes. else are you finding? Oh, all kinds of things. Um, <laughs> um, in my actual dissertation research, um, I'm studying, I've done tons of research on students with uh, post-secondary students with disabilities and advocacy was always a big thing. Um, but I, I found while I was doing policy work uh, last year, I had the opportunity to take some of my policy work to the White House, to the Director of Political Affairs, and presented the policy paper, policy brief, and so forth. Um, one of the things that I noted is, you know, there's this factor, there's 20 different factors of what leads to departure or dropping out. And um, what I found is that there was this one little thing on the sidebar about the relationship with the faculty, and I thought, I'm going to dig into that. And then when I looked at faculty, there is so much about faculty interaction with students. And so I, I started wondering, like, you know, they kind of, you know, it's, it's up, the whole thing should be the student. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I think the faculty have a lot to do with it. And so the more that I found in my research is that there's this, the perception, a lot of just really hard things to, to look at in the sense that, um, you know, we think faculty are going to be all like, you know, go team, way to go, and you know, cheering us on. Really, uh, many, and I, I don't have an exact number on the top of my head right now, but there's many faculty who've just downright stated that they don't want students with disabilities in their classrooms. Wow. The reason for that in their post-secondary classrooms, because they themselves don't have enough training in how to, how to do that. The, the lack of training they have at K through 12. Um, most student school districts all over the country, school districts have training programs, even if it's just a, a little wimpy three-hour module for every teacher to sort of to cover themselves and to protect themselves legally. In higher ed, there's maybe a little bit or none. And so you can get adjunct professors and a visiting professor and even full-time faculty who have zero training, have never heard of I, even heard of IDEA, let alone read the document or the ADA, any of the disability laws, the um, legislation, none of it. So they have no idea that A, they even have to accommodate, and they might, this, the university doesn't always tell them. Mm -hmm. So they're just, you know, oh, go into the classroom, and they go in as, you know, the expert in this, the, 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 and they have no idea how to reach all of the students. And they don't even, they may not even know that they have students with disabilities in their classroom unless they've received the actual um, accommodation letter. But even last, uh, when, last year, I had a professor, uh, loved him to death, nicest guy. I went up to him because I'm aggressive and, and mm -hmm. I kind of get my needs, and I went right up to him and I said, I have a learning disability. Have you checked your disability? There's a letter from the accessibility. Every semester I have a letter mm -hmm. sent for the accessibility to every professor that I have. And he says, oh, I have 80 emails in my, I haven't even checked my email. And I'm thinking, well, then I'm going to tell you exactly what I need. Mm -hmm. But not every student does that. No. And not every professor checks their 
mail or a text opens their letters or, you know, the, the, the student may say, okay, I sent that and I'm covered, I'm good. You're never 100% until you get exactly what you need. Great. So you're finding there's, there's a lack of training really There's in a higher. lack of training, a lack of knowledge, just even just in general. I think because, and this is speculation, I'm sure I'll find data, but um, I'm looking at the difference in age group. Younger professors are actually more in tune with how to serve and provide accommodations to students with disabilities, where the older professors started teaching long before um, you know, No Child Left Behind and 2004 and these uh, IDEA, before all these, and 2008 Higher Education Opportunity Act, um, all these laws came like 30 years after they've been teaching and you know, they may not even know they exist. Mm -hmm. And so for them to change the way, I mean my goal as a, as a researcher, the end of my document will be that there's something that's going to change is that the way the professors, maybe there's more education, maybe there's more awareness, or maybe just more understanding of what the student is going through. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had to, when I was um, in undergraduate, I didn't take notes very well, so I had a, a girl next to me, she Xerox, back when we had Xerox, Xerox every, her whole notebook for me out of the kindness of her heart. But really, I had to sort of elbow my way in and ask for that accommodation for her. I should have already been provided. Mm -hmm. I should have already had that. I shouldn't have had to beg my friend to do that for me. But I knew how to kind of wiggle wiggle and get what I needed, where some students are like, oh, I just don't take good notes. I'm just not going to even think of, you know. And then when they fail a test, they say, well, I didn't take good notes. I didn't take any notes. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't like that. I was very. Um, you know, I was very active on getting exactly what I needed, but not everybody's like that. Yeah, sounds like you have been super aggressive, and it's led to a yes. very successful <laughs> life. And thank you. I and I the really, award that you recently oh, I, received. I'm so honored, and I have to tell you, when I when I found out that I won, I jumped up and down next to my car. I couldn't believe it. But um, but really, I just want to serve the students so they don't have to go through what I went through, and I want them to have an easier time and know that they can do everything. They can do anything they want, and not to let anybody tell them what they can and can't do. And I haven't let anybody, I mean, there's so many people have told me, you can't do this, you can't do that. I'm like, I'm not going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. So I decide what I will do, and you're right, there is no ceiling um, to what we can do. And you know, these could be the, you know, the students that we think are the ones that might not make it, they're the ones who probably will and go invent something and, and move on, you know, and become geniuses and, you know, win awards and so forth. Just so, like you just yeah. did. Thank you. <laughs> You're I'm the so, proof of success. You. So thank I, you. Thank you for your time, Toby. Thank you. I really appreciate the I, conversation. Thank you we had. for having me very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the LDA podcast. This series has been made possible by the Learning Disabilities Foundation of America. Our theme music is Little Idea by Scott Holmes. Next week, we'll talk to literacy consultant Katie Garner on advice on how to trick the brain into reading and writing. For more resources from LDA, visit ldaamerica.org.